0: Hello and welcome to the Good Sports Podcast, diving deep into the world of sports for development. My name is David Terrace, and I'm joined by fellow Good Sports, Sarah Begg and Lee Booth. Hiya. Hello. On this episode, we are talking about partnerships, which of course is absolutely key in the world of sport for development and is a sustainable development goal in itself. So we're going to have a chat about our favourite partnerships and have a think about some ideal partnerships ourselves. I've been speaking to Eric and Erica. From an American organisation called Philanthropy Playmakers. Sarah, who have you been speaking to?
1: So I spoke with Sarah Mortarboys from the Sport Development Coalition, and we just looked at the aims of the organisation, what they're doing in the near future to try and achieve those aims, and how people can get involved. And you can hear those interviews now.
2: I'm Erica Prosser, I'm one half of Philanthropy Playmakers.
3: And I'm Eric Shainach, and I am the other half of Philanthropy Playmakers. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the
0: uh, Good Sports podcast. Whereabouts in the world are you, just to give the listeners a bit of an idea?
2: We are in Chicago.
0: Amazing. Um, So you said you're from Philanthropy Playmakers. Could you just tell us a bit more about what your organization does?
2: Yeah, we we are a A website and a consulting business that's dedicated to helping sports organizations and athletes uh, impact their communities through their given sport.
0: So how do organizations kind of get involved in this?
3: Yeah, so we have a monthly newsletter where we try and build a, a resource for these organizations. It consists of executive interviews with teams, athletes and nonprofits that are involved in the sports philanthropy field. Uh, So we will speak with these individuals and try and really glean best practices of what's made them successful, both from an organization and an individual. We highlight what we call our MVPs, most valuable philanthropists, uh, to really build a community for those in this space to bounce ideas off of and ultimately provide some recognition. And then we will aggregate best practices, both nationally, internationally, of what we see going on in the world that really resonates with readers and maybe you can take some key learnings there to apply to your organization. So we've been doing that piece just over two years now and have built up a nice community both within the States as well as internationally of, of people that are uh, reading our resource. In addition, we host a monthly Twitter chat around the same topic. So we'll take current events and topics that are pertinent to the sports philanthropy field. And we will basically host a Twitter chat so that we can continue to integrate within the community there. And then, like Erica said, we've also got that consulting piece as well that we've recently launched.
0: Okay, I've seen the Twitter chat and it's great. You get some really great and great engagement. Um, How did it all start, the organization?
2: Yeah. So Eric and I met through the GW Sports Philanthropy Executive Certificate Program a little over two years ago. Um, We actually just ended up on the same plane back to Chicago and thought that we met so many great people that weekend that we really wanted to keep in touch and wanted to build a community around all of the great work that um, people were doing in sports for development. So we just launched the website and, um, tap that network from GW, and here we are two years later. So it was just a, a brainchild of a two-hour flight home, and it's been really wonderful to connect with people, like Eric said, in the States and abroad.
3: To really echo what Erica said there, you know, it was at a time where athletes didn't necessarily have as strong of a voice as they do now, mm-hmm. and so they're obviously... They feel much more empowered to help youth sport organizations, development organizations, to both with resources and time. And so it was a perfect storm on our end to build this resource and this tool. And ultimately, everything that's happened over the last two plus years across the sport, specifically in the States, um, you know, like I said, it was just a perfect storm when we decided to. Uh, officially launched this organization, um, it, the timing worked out well.
0: So um, how does it work in terms of uh, a client? So firstly, what sort of clients do you have? And then, how, you know, what experience do they get?
2: So we work with a, a few different types of clients. Um, but mainly we would be working with an athlete, a professional athlete, um, a sports organization, local sports organization or nonprofit or a team, community relations department or foundation. And we can offer support in anything from fundraising strategy and marketing and communications to just dis- to communicate story to the public. Uh, we can help with finding corporate sponsors, community partners, and we can also help with just overall strategic vision for how to more create more sustainable organizations.
3: Yeah, and once again to piggyback off of that, you look at what some of these foundations and nonprofits need, first and foremost, it's strategy. But in addition, we're all looking at how we can make a larger impact. And at the end of the day, that means how do we raise more money, right? So in our world, it's how do we – we're looking at everything from a 30,000-foot view when we we go and create our newsletter. So how do we take what works, analyze it, and use that with our clients? And so, for example, if we know that a program is very successful, how do we apply that locally to – help raise more money, provide those fundraising strategies so that they can do what they do best, which is impact their local community.
0: So we we spoke to Paul Kagame from Up To Us Sports a few um, weeks ago, and he was telling us about the kind of the challenge in America that some of the sports organizations are willing to kind of raise money, use their profile, but they don't actually invest in kind of sport for development programs. Is that something that you've seen and is that is that something that's likely to change?
2: So are you you're asking if pro sports teams are willing to invest in sport for development?
0: So yeah, I meant in terms of people raising money for causes, like JJ Watt um, raising money for the hurricane, for example, but not necessarily investing that into sport for development. Is is that you know, is that something that you've seen and is, is that kind of widespread in America?
3: Yeah,
2: I would say that's right, that um, right now pro teams and and pro athletes use their platform to bring attention to things that are near and dear to their hearts and and are personally compelling. Um, So there's not as much focus on this concept of sport for development as there is internationally. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that uh, the conversation around sport for development – is starting particularly with girls' sports and, and girls' participation in, in youth sports at a younger age and how that can benefit communities and um, eventually states and then nationally. Um, and I think that that will parlay into the broader conversation. Um, I don't I don't know, Eric, if you want to add anything to that?
3: Yeah, so you, you bring up J.J. Watt, which I think is an interesting example because – he raised all this money for hurricane relief, which was obviously very present at that time and very needed, right? So he rallied around his city, rallied the community around a, a horrible tragedy. And then you look at the work that his foundation does, and a lot of it is, is actually youth sport development. He's providing equipment uh, to after-school sports programs, both in Wisconsin and in Texas, And so he's helping provide the resources for these kids to continue to play sport at a young age. Now that's an interesting example because a lot of these athletes don't have their own foundation Mm -hmm. or if they do, it's uh, a little different of a, of a reason than what you'd expect. And so in the States where you have so many sports, so many athletes, so many different causes, there is a lot of clutter. And so, I think what a lot of these professional athletes do is they pick something that's near and dear to their heart, whether that's breast cancer, uh, prostate cancer, diabetes, you name it, and they try and put their own twist on it. And so each one is a little bit fragmented, but I bet if you were to look at the common theme throughout all of them, youth sport and development is, is critical, right, because they all have to get where they were and come up through the ranks and so there's just there's a lot of different fragments there and even if you look at it you've got the player level and then you have the teams that have their own initiatives and then you have the leagues that have their own initiatives and it varies across sport so just consider multiplying all of that out and you you come away with something that's much more fragmented whereas the underlying tie between all of these athletes and teams and sports is that, that youth component.
0: Yeah, there's, there's lots of duplication in, in a similar fashion over here in, in the UK. And you know, there's an attempt to try and bring that together. Is that something that you're trying to do by showing people that actually they're doing sort of broadly similar thing and by working partnership, they could make a bigger impact?
2: Yes, yes. that's exactly right. Um, one of the things we always say is that we shouldn't reinvent the wheel. And also, we shouldn't be competing. Um, There's strength in numbers, obviously, and and bolstering partnerships um, actually gives you more access to resource and influence. And um, instead of everyone uh, kind of hoarding or or feeling threatened by other sports organizations, that the more connections we can make, uh, the greater the impact will be and the more uh, long-term and sustainable.
3: I think one thing to add on there is, you know, because we have that 30,000 foot view, but we're able to execute at that that minute local level, we're able to really truly understand how many similarities there are across mm-hmm. sports and issues. So for example, you look at where I'm from in Milwaukee and where I lived in Memphis You have a basketball team in Memphis and you have a baseball team in Milwaukee. Those two aren't necessarily communicating about what's going on in their community, how to impact the youth, raise money. But if you look at the pure numbers, they're similar in size. They have similar issues across demographics, socioeconomics. Um, And so because they're in different sports, they run in different circles and so we're able to go and say, OK, what's going on in this market or with this team and why is it work and what other efficiencies are there so that, like Erica said, we're not reinventing the wheel. We can be the conduit between the two organizations to speak, share best practices and ultimately pool resources or contacts or partnerships to really amplify that effort and that uh, the results in each community.
0: And um, with, with that kind of wide view that you, you talked about, what, what do you think the kind of really exciting trends are for sports for development in, in the
3: US? I think we're moving in the right direction. Obviously, you spoke about Up to Us, uh, which yeah. is a phenomenal model in terms of sport development. And I think with how much, let's put it this way, there's so much education and resources available nowadays for parents and for um, their kids in terms of sports, it, it truly does, A, keep them off the streets, B, teach them a skill set that you're not going to get through any other activity. And, you know, there's the research out out there that backs it up. You know, Erica was a former uh, basketball player, and I guarantee you that she's learned more on the court through her coaches and her mentors than probably at any other point in her life. And she can apply that to her professional world and her her personal world. And so we're obviously very blessed and fortunate as well to have had those opportunities. It's even more critical for youth who come from at-risk communities to have this outlet to be able to participate in these programs that teach them the skill set where they otherwise may not have them. So all that being said, I think the urgency is is there, and people are are speaking about it, and it's more prevalent in conversation, both both online um, as well as offline. So that the momentum is moving in the right direction to raise money and awareness for sport development.
2: Mm. Yeah, Eric's exactly right. Um, some of my greatest lessons learned were, if not all, were through basketball. And I think that another thing that's happening is seeing professional athletes um, in the media doing things outside of their sport, uh, even though there's been pushback on that a bit, it's it's now expected that they plan for when they're retired and they're giving back to their community and they're expanding their skill sets while they're playing. And I, I think it's just further proof that sport and, and being an athlete can teach you lifelong skills and that sends a message to the young kids that are watching these players flourish so I I think that's probably the trend is just recognizing that it's more than sport but sport is the vehicle for developing a a kid for life
0: Yeah, I I completely agree with that and what, what do you think are the what have you found are the key challenges in terms of implementing this
2: Obviously, as as Eric alluded to, it's it's just resource and access for someone uh, for a kid in Chicago, for example, it's dangerous to play outside, you know, so sports aren't as accessible in the summertime specifically, and and even more so in the winter because, you know, getting into a gym may cost money or you need to belong to a center or something like that. So uh, one, creating safe places to play in our major cities is really important. And um, two, just general equipment costs and travel costs and that kind of thing. I think that's a trend that we're seeing is people supporting that kind of the, the, that kind of need is you know hockey sticks or just basketballs or new tennis shoes. So definitely those socioeconomic issues come into play. Um, but again, I think teams and athletes are making that more of a focus. And even school districts, I think, are trying to invest more into sports programs, even if it can't be after school because of budgets or whatnot. Um, yeah, that's what I would think, Eric.
3: Yeah. So I think Erica hit the nail on the head. I'd, I'd add two things. One, it's that education piece of informing people of why this is important. So you can read as much research as you want, but you have to spread this message and it's a grassroots message, especially the sport development piece. And so how do you tell that story and create that urgency? Across every state and each community, that takes time, it takes money, it takes you know, resources. And then I think, like Erica said, the the resources to be able to actually play these sports. Um, if you look at, I'll give you an example: La 84 Foundation. They're an organization that was built out of the they were born out of the La 84 Olympic Games, and they really try to make sport available for all because it's such It's in such high demand, but there are so many at risk children where they can't get to games. You're having to go an hour away. There aren't the proper fields or equipment, like Erica said. And so they resort to not being able to play. So it's, how do you, how do you bring a field or a a court closer to where these communities are because you know there's research out there that shows that sometimes you may not go outside of your 10 mile radius and so if they're not able to get outside their 10 mile radius because they don't have a car or you know they the mass transportation is too bad how do you bring the sport to them and then bring the proper educators coaches mentors into those communities as well so I think it's that that duality piece uh, that you know we've touched on and um, especially in the at risk communities that's where it's needed the most to help provide the structure and the, the positive coaching and the leadership that's uh, you know that they may be missing
0: yeah I, I agree and we've had a great campaign over here which was about getting rid of no ball signs in um, in the States and you know places like that to actually allow kids to play properly and with that mind, what what things have you kind of seen from abroad that you've really thought, oh, that that's great, and that could work? I think
3: Manchester United does a great job uh, at bringing sport to the masses. Obviously, they're a global brand, right? But you know, they're very aware that while they live and breathe and, and work in one area, hmm. and their supporters mainly come from one area the people that they're trying to impact and the children they're trying to help may be miles and miles away, or I guess kilometers away. And so the distance is so far that they need to bring their programming to these kids. And so they actually go into the school systems and they sign three year contracts with each school Hmm. to help bring the game of football and the skills that you learn by playing it to these children and so that's just a great example of they've got the resources, they have the, the structure in place. Now, how do we go and reach these children where they are so that these children don't need to go out of their way to be exposed to it? Because if, once again, you look at what Eric and I went through, sports is prevalent, it's everywhere. So making it more readily available is key. And I think Manchester United does a phenomenal job of that. And I think that's. That's the grassroots efforts and the um, ability to cast a wide net so that you can catch the kids in there and get them hooked and allow them an outlet to use sport as that as that vehicle to improve their life.
0: Mm-hmm. So we have three questions we ask everyone. Um, so the first question is, what does sport for development mean to you?
2: Sport for development means giving youth, Specifically, underserved youth um, an avenue to express themselves, to develop their skills, lifelong skills, and to ultimately give them a chance to improve live, their life and the life of their family and even generations to come.
3: And Eric, yeah, I think to me, it it means that organizations have all the resources that they need to make the largest impact. And so it's equipping them educationally, uh, financially and body wise to go out and do what their mission says. You know, that's at its core. These are grassroots organizations trying to to reach the, the bottom level in terms of the community. It's reaching the individuals and that, and that takes a lot of time and effort. And so sport for development is, is really how we work to better future generations and provide access and um, resources to those generations so that, you know, my father always said to me, I want you to have a better life than what I had. And so how do we take that same approach through sport for both our friends and our, you know, our strangers that we've never met it's, it's taking that stronger together mindset and uh, applying it to the sport development world.
0: Fantastic. What's been your kind of proudest moment in, the, in your career in sport for development? Erica, do you want to go first?
2: Uh, my proudest moment is, I think the community that we've built around this space and we still continuing to grow and it's really encouraging um, to see people engaging with philanthropy playmakers on social media and Uh, through our newsletter, um, and just really knowing that other people are doing good work and being able to make those connections, you know, so we know people that work in the coaching and mentoring space. And we also know organizations who might be looking to expand those services. And we, because we've talked to them and wanted to glean from them, are able to make those connections and are therefore bolstering both operations at the same time. So I would say that that's definitely our biggest accomplishment thus far.
3: Eric, right. I think Eric is spot on again. I think we'll, we'll get the the emails and the the notes that that say how much people appreciate the resources that we provide. That were you know they look forward to reading it each month, and I think that just validates the need for a community. In sports philanthropy, I think our intention when we started this was to provide a resource. And when we had people reach out to us asking for our opinion and our point of view, we realized not only is this a valued resource, but there's a need to help connect the dots, connect organizations and individuals. And, you know, to that point on the that, why we started the consulting piece, it was because there's a need for this and if we feel like we can help organizations raise more money and have a larger impact in their community that's what we're here for and so whether that's an athlete or a team or a nonprofit the goal is to amplify that effort raise more money help make sustainable organizations so that they're around for the long haul and that their legacy is felt long long after they ever leave an organization and so that's that's the work that we're trying to do and it's i see it as a success and i also see it as it allows us to give back and pay it forward to those who have helped us so much um, and have allowed us to get to where we are at this point
0: so our, our podcast is kind of aligned to that in terms of connecting people and um, but we're also sleep about learning more about the sport for development we don't know it all but we you know we want to find out as much as possible so uh, the last question: Who would you recommend us speaking to to kind of learn more about sport for development? Is there any one person or organisation we should be
3: getting in touch with? Yeah, I can start with this one. I think uh, LA84 Foundation, that one that I mentioned, they were born out of the LA84 Olympics. Uh, Renata Simreal is uh, the CEO there, and she is she's brilliant. She's fantastic and really works in that play equity space so that play is available for everyone uh, jorge uh, casimiro over at nike um, he's the vp of social impact and once again they're trying to get kids active all over the world mm. so i think that um, he would be another great person to have on the podcast uh, and really um, continue to grow the network
2: Yeah, I would add um, Christina Hovistat. She's now a manager of community relations at the NFL, and they're they're building out their programs more and more. Um, But she also was the executive director of the Rashad Jennings Foundation, um, who their mission is to increase literacy through sport. So um, she has experience both in the nonprofit space and now for a pro team. And it's a different kind of work, but uh, she's – seen a lot and would be great to talk to you as well
0: great we'll we'll try and make that happen so guys thank you very much for coming on on the pod how can people find out more about what you do and then the twitter chats and and all your work
3: yeah so i'd say first and foremost they can follow us on on twitter it's at phil playmakers uh also you can go to our website philanthropyplaymakers.com we you can take a look at the resources that we have people that we've interviewed, always happy to make a connection for anyone that's interested. And then obviously our services are there too. So if there's an organization that is interested in you know, how we operate, how we can help raise more money, how we can make the connections and raise the money through sport, that's once again, that's, that's in our wheelhouse. So um, I'd say reach out to us. We're always willing to have a conversation, learn more, connect, and ultimately. It's a fun space to be in because we all want everyone to succeed. And so if we can help someone else succeed by making a connection, um, providing a point of view on our end or, you know, doing some work with them, obviously, we're always happy to do so.
0: That's brilliant. And, and what's the uh, hashtag for your Twitter chat? Hey. Hashtag
3: Sports Phil Chat.
0: Brilliant. Well, um, Eric and Erica, it's been a pleasure. Um, thank you very much for your time and um, hope to touch base again soon.
2: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: Thank
3: you.
4: I'm Sarah Morfoyce, and I look after this thing called the Sport for Development Coalition, which works across the UK to support and enhance the sector in terms of, of organisations, whether they're private, voluntary, charitable, public, who are involved in working in the sport for development space. Fantastic. Thank you so
1: much for coming on the pod. So no worries. I know you're kind of new into the role. It'd be great to hear more about the Sport for Development Coalition and sort of what the goals are of the coalition and how you hope to sort of drive those forward.
4: Sure. So, um, I think from my point of view, I kind of feel that I'm coming back into a space that has got some amazing examples of really good projects and interventions and organizations that are working to change people's lives for the better. And I think the coalition for me is really about three things. I guess for me, it's about looking at how we advocate what we do and not just at how we advocate that within the sector, but also how we do that in a wider context. I think that we're very good and education is the same with this. I think that we're very good at talking to each other, but sometimes we might not be so hot at talking to everyone else. Mm. Um, So I think the role of the coalition is around that advocacy and really making the case for why sport can be such a powerful driver in terms of social change. I think the second thing is to look at how we really demonstrate that in terms of evidence and impact. Now, that's a toughie, obviously, but how we can show both in terms of quantitative and qualitative data around, well, if we're doing this particular intervention or we're making this particular investment, what is it that we hope to see in terms of impact? And I think recently coming from an education environment, impact has always been, is always the driver of everything that that um, education does. And I think bringing that that kind of experience into this role is really important. So it's kind of why you do what you do. And it's a little bit like the so what question. You know, I, I do that particular intervention, well, so what, what are you hoping to achieve? What's the desired impact of that? And the coalition being in a great position to really evidence that. And I think thirdly, it's around securing investment. And when I talk about investment, I don't necessarily just mean cold, hard cash, although obviously that is very beneficial, but also about how we secure intellectual investment and social investment. So how we encourage both the sector as a whole, but also those that are looking from the outside in, and whether that's government departments, whether that's the private sector, whoever may have a, a desire to be involved, that actually they invest into the sector. So, so that's kind of for me the three key functions. And I think sitting over the top of that is this ability to really drive continuous improvement. So it's kind of the old adage, if you do the same thing, you get the same outcome. Mm. For me, I think it's about advocating what's really, really good, but also stretching the set and giving that element of thought leadership to say, right, what's the next big step? What are the things that we could all do together? What's the collaboration piece here? That kind of thing. So for me, the the kind of movement um, is around those core areas. Fantastic. That sounds
1: like three key themes that we keep coming back to as well across the pod. Um, Our sort of key theme for this particular episode of the pod is going to be about partnerships. So the stuff you're talking about around collaboration sounds really interesting and key to that. Um, first of all, sort of, how do organisations get involved with the Sport for Development Coalition? Is it something that other organisations can get involved
4: with? Absolutely, absolutely. So it's important to say that the coalition, and you'll probably start to see, although um, obviously I'm saying this on a podcast, so it's it's obviously gospel. Um, but you'll probably start to see the word coalition start to disappear, okay? And you'll probably start to see the word movement appear a little bit more. And it's important to say that this has been a long long time coming there's been discussions around the development of this this type of working for probably about five or six years Mm. Um, and I think because there hasn't been until this point there hasn't been any you know anybody that's kind of in a position to say well hey here's some money let's get somebody in to kind of take it to its next level it's kind of been talking about doing this sort of work for quite quite a long period it's not necessarily about developing a new thing um, a new organization or a new body or anything like that the the sector is pretty crowded as it is and that's not a bad thing at all but I think um, it's important that if you are adding anything else into the mix it's important that that provides mm-hmm. benefit and provides the opportunity to enhance what is currently already happening so in terms of this is a very long way of answering <laughs> your question but I will that's get right. there I promise. So In terms of organisations getting involved, absolutely. And we're going to do that in a number of different ways. So in terms of this way of working, the only thing that you will start to see is is a little logo. So where that appears, you will know that that, either that piece of work or um, that conference or that website or whatever it might be has been developed in terms of co-collaboration and Mm co-creation within the sector. So our media partner is Connect Sport and so what that means is that on Connect Sport's website will be um, information around what the movement does yes. and what it's there for and also the opportunity to join the connect sport directory which is completely free of charge to to register your your organization within this space um, and the idea behind that is over time and there are thousands of organizations especially in the third sector mm. that use sport as, um, as a tool for social development so and i know in the past you know we've tried to kind of gather information on that and all that kind of stuff. But I think for me, it's around the movement is around connecting people and connecting organizations and really starting in its first instance to, to really plug the gaps and share what is currently happening. So if you know if you guys do want to get involved absolutely all you need to do is register on Connect Sport and that will be the first step for you in terms of joining the movement. Brilliant.
1: Fortunately Connect Sport is one of our sort of main media partners as well so we would definitely encourage any of our listeners if they're involved in sport for development organisations to make sure they are on that Connect Sport platform if they're in the UK and if they're internationally based then Sport and Dev does a similar job for sort of more global space yeah so then in terms of making the case and um, collecting that evidence around sport for, for development so sort of what's the plan for for that is that something that's going to be driven by the sort of movement or are you more looking to collect evidence from people who are already doing that work
4: well that's a tough question <laughs> um, I think um, I think it's it's two things really it's looking at what tools are currently available out there and this is going back to the let's not repeat what's already gone before let's not reinvent the wheel there are a tremendous amount of tools of opportunities that organizations can use to to collect meaningful data from my point of view um, it's about really making it quite simple and saying right okay if you are an organization working in newham for example and you're doing work with um, young people involved in gangs and knife crime then really what you need to be able to do is is show the evidence that you are having an impact in terms of reducing crime, reducing antisocial behaviour, possibly getting kids into education, employment and training through the intervention that you're putting in place. So for me, there's kind of five key areas, which is around community cohesion, education, employment, crime, health and wellbeing and equality. So I will be guided really by the movement because it's not just about my leadership, it's also about all of the organisations that are involved. It's that how do we best do that? How do we best recommend a whole bank of of tools that can be used to collect that information, all the way from, you know, the big guys all the way down to to organisations who perhaps are voluntary, that perhaps don't have too much money to invest in, in data collection, but still need advice and guidance on how to do that. So that's kind of, for me, the first step. And we're already working with EY on on what that might look like. And I will be beginning conversations with DCMS around how do we do that? How do we translate what we do to make it more appropriate and to help you guys understand the impact of what we're doing. And I think that conversation needs to start with, well, in order, say, for example, health and well-being, if we're talking to DOH, what do you need to see from us to help you understand how sport can make the case
1: so essentially you're looking at for a sort of a toolbox of indicators that meet the needs both of so. you know the people at the sort of policy end of the scale yeah. but also the man on the street women on the street grassroots organizer who wants to just collect some evidence in a simple way to prove their impact fascinating to hear how you see it working I was the last thing i wanted to kind of talk about in terms of the movement not coalition is just about that relationship with comic relief so how's how's that relationship work
4: so in terms of um in terms of relationship with comic relief who are my employer and are awesome by the way so at at the point where so i explained earlier but at the point where um we the the group of of charities sat around the table and organizations sat around the table around developing this new way of working kind of got to the point where they were like right well we need to kind of do something here so comic relief being a founding member sport england and Laureus came to the table and said right well we will put some investment in here to help take you to the next stage of development that next phase so comic relief and sport england and Laureus put money around the table and as if by magic i appeared so in terms of the in terms of their involvement as an organization they employ me and um, and they act as as kind of the duty. In terms of governance around any financial aspects of work that we do, that's the relationship. In terms of the broader work around the leadership of of the movement, so I sit in terms of if it's day to day leadership and its strategic direction. We are also in the process of looking to appoint an independent chair. So if there's anybody listening out there that really wants to get involved, then please do get in touch. Um, and that role of that chair will really um, and that's a voluntary position. Um, and that role will really be about giving that kind of high level um, national strategic guidance around what um, the movement and how the movement works going forward and working alongside alongside me sitting within that we we have currently have a leadership group kind of the founding members of the movement and within that also there are task and finish groups so for example we have one meeting on the 5th of september to just start to to present a case around the commonwealth games legacy and what um what the sector could present as a This is what we could do for you in terms of legacy development following that big sporting event. So that's kind of how it's structured.
1: Well, that kind of links nicely to the question we asked our listeners just before we put this um, podcast out, which is what was their favourite example of a partnership or collaboration in Sport for Development? So I think it would be appropriate to ask you that question as well.
4: Cool. I think my favourite example... And it's more, it's more of a way of working, I guess. And it's and it's very. Um, I've, I came across it um, probably about a month or so ago. Is is of an organisation called Fight for Peace, and they were founded in Rio in one of the favelas in Rio, and they were really about how they work with young people to reduce their involvement in gang-related crime and knife violence and all that kind of stuff. And they also have a UK arm which is based in Newham in, in East London. And I think what's really interesting in terms of the way that they collaborate they look at they've spent years looking at what works for them in terms of an organization and what has the furthest reach and deepest impact for the people that they work with and instead of trying to set up lots of different fight for peace organizations all around the globe they've identified key partners in particular areas of real deprivation that they can work alongside and support and build capacity so and i think that's a really Good example of where you have a real respect and understanding of what works locally. And you can go in and add value to that yeah. and share that experience, that knowledge around making, making those organizations and helping those organizations to do that sense of improvement and, and sense of stretch. And I think that for me in, in recent times is a really, really good example of where that collaboration is really beginning to have an effect, not just for the organizations, but actually for what we're all here to do, which is work with the end user. So I think that's a really cool. For me, that's a really cool example of that. Brilliant!
1: Uh, yeah, sounds fantastic. And that capacity strengthening piece of work, I think, is something that we're starting to see more and more of. So really yeah. cool to hear that example. We'll make sure that we track it down and and share it with our cool. listeners on the blog. We've got three rapid fire questions that we ask everyone at the end. Oh God! Um, okay. So the first one. Just in one sentence,
4: what does sport for development mean for you? Sport for development uh, to me means the use of sport to really enhance, improve and change people's lives for not just for what we perceive to be the better, but for what they perceive to be the better.
1: Brilliant. Um, What's your proudest moment in sport for development? Do
4: you know what? I think for me, I used to do quite a lot. When I was an assistant head, I used to do a lot of work with some quite difficult Kids, (laughs) kids <laughs> very um, very challenging young people and i think probably one of my proudest moments we used to take uh, this particular group of kids to a surf school in in north cornwall in bude and i think that, and these kids were from you know gloucester gloucestershire sounds all leafy but inner city gloucester is not is is a particularly challenging place mm. and some of these kids had had never you know never been out of the city let alone gone to a beach i think probably one of my proudest moments was actually seeing them have the bravery to kind of get in the water uh, and to have and to build that confidence and that ability to work with each other to really get over those fears I think that's probably one of the the proudest moments so far
1: and then the last question who would you recommend we get in touch with next um to interview (sighs) on the podcast
4: I would really love to hear from two people, really, I think for me, if that's OK, if I can have. Of this. course. I think, it w- I think it would be really good for you to talk to Jane Ashworth who is CEO of Street Games, not, not just Street Games as a charity, but to talk to her about her journey in terms of establishing that charity. I mean, it's it's phenomenal what they've achieved. Mm. And I think that would be a really good insight into, into how you, you sit down as a passionate group of people and say, we want to make a difference to people's lives and kids' lives. How do we do that? And, you know, that's where most charities are born from. Um, and I think it would be really cool for you to talk to her. And I also think it would be great for you to talk to, andrew honeyman who is um, head of sport at dcms and to get his kind of take on the state of the nation in terms of sport and his perception of how sport as part of our national fabric can help improve society's outcomes so from a really high level kind of government policy point of view i think that would be quite interesting
1: thank you for those suggestions um they both sound like really great people for us to talk to so the last little thing: Do you have any Twitter, Facebook, uh, other social media shout-outs that you'd like to make sure that we share with our listeners?
4: We will have um, a Twitter handle, and that's at Sarah Sport4Dev, which would be great if people could follow and. Really, just to keep an eye, an eye definitely on Connect Sport. Connect Sport, as we say, is our media partner. So everything that we do in terms of in terms of outward facing media will be on that website, and that will be from September.
1: Brilliant, Sarah. Thank you so much for your time. Um, we've, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. And no worries. Hopefully My pleasure. We'll be in touch again at some point. Cool.
0: So, we've heard from Sarah there about her favourite partnership in the world of sport for development. We're going to have a chat about our
5: favourite and also our deal partnerships. Uh, Lee, what's your favourite? The one that attracted my attention recently, and this was on the Connect Sport website, was a partnership between British Gymnastics and the Cartoon Network. And more specifically, between British Gymnastics and the Cartoon Network show, The Powerpuff Girls. So, what they've done is they've created what they're calling Power Academies an initiative using those characters from the Powerpuff Girls to inspire young girls to get into gymnastics. Two things really that attracted me to that. One was the way that they seem to be setting everything up in sort of gamification way. So it's about people achieving levels and that gets them certificates and badges, but also the way that they're leveraging something which is, I guess, traditionally a negative. So people watching too much TV, but using the power of those characters to to inspire girls to get involved in sport. And I know we haven't got a quiz lined up this week, so I thought I'd just test you back, David. So the question here is, can you give me the name of the three Powerpuff Girls? <laughs> um, I uh, <laughs> wouldn't have a clue, if, if I'm honest. Sarah, any idea on the Powerpuff Girl names? Buttercup. Oh, good. It's definitely one. That's correct. Uh, it's two more Bs, if that helps.
1: Bobbles is the one in the blue.
5: That is correct. Show off.
1: I can't remember what the third one is.
5: Well, two out of three is a good effort. The other one was Blossom.
1: Ah, uh, of course it was. Or green.
5: So has that just startedly? Is that quite a new partnership? Yep, yeah, that's a new partnership and it's a new partnership which is just been started up in w- w- this year, which is the 130th anniversary of British Gymnastics and the 20th anniversary of the Powerpuff Girls. So a bit of synergy there I love as well.
0: It. I think it's great, and I think the theme of um, using popular brands and also gamification will be something that's quite consistent. And I guess it's it's a way of people seeing that actually just telling people to be active is not is not good enough and won't change behaviour. So I think this is a, is a great initiative. And as you say, it's turning a negative into a positive. Sarah, what are your what are your thoughts?
1: So mine's kind of similar, leveraging a cool brand to get people engaged in sport. And that's actually from sort of my own personal Twitter, I picked it up, that Gloucestershire Cricket Boards are working with Nando's Peri Perry Chicken to promote their participation camps through their wickets program, but also their Tavernus City Cup. It's a performance pathway, but particularly looking at finding ways to make sure that young people from inner cities who might not have the opportunity to ordinarily make it into performance pathways do have that opportunity to be scouted and talent spotted now I know that's not sort of our traditional idea of sport for development but I still think it it fits into that kind of idea of getting kids who might not be ordinarily engaged and also giving people who might not have the opportunity to make a career out of sport the opportunity to do so.
0: It is interesting because a lot of county cricketers if you follow their Instagram eat at Nando's anyway so it's sort of seen as, as you say, kind of an acceptable, healthy choice of food, but it's still kind of fast food. It's somewhere where you go with your mates. It's somewhere where quite a lot of younger people hang out. So it really interesting that cricket is trying to kind of piggyback on that and trying to raise awareness of possibly a game which is seen as not for people who eat at Nando's, perhaps, I don't know. So, yeah, well, Lee, what do you think of that partnership?
5: Well, you're 100% right. So every county cricketer I've ever met seems to eat at Nando's. So there's definitely a link between Nando's and, and cricket. The bit you raised, Sarah, around, how they could possibly use that to talk about healthy eating and healthy options and lifestyle options it would clearly be great. But certainly sports for development for me, that if you're getting people who haven't necessarily got the choice or the the chance as others have to get through the pathways, and that's a great use of sport. My
0: partnership I'd like to highlight, again, is a fairly fairly new one. And it's, it's between the Football League Trust and the 72 Football League Clubs and the Charity Mind. So for every team that's in the Football League, they will have a badge that will have the Mind logo on. And that's kind of the springboard of the partnership. And as with the other partnership, it's really trying to use a brand to raise an issue. And for here, the, there's a key issue around mental health. People not talking about it, stigma, and that's particularly prevalent in men. And we know through campaigns such as CARB, campaign against living miserably, that you know male suicide accounts for a huge amount of deaths actually that are preventable. And for me, it's a really kind of big, groundbreaking partnership that I'm sure will lead to other things. Because I know the guys at Mind are are very good and they're very keen to spread the message. But It really kind of shows the power of sport to get in front of people who might not be willing to talk or just might not be in a social situation that encourages talking about mental health. It might be seen as weak. It might be seen as not something to do. But actually, this is starting to show that footballers, that football fans can talk about their mental health. And I think it's a really important partnership. So slightly different, I guess, to the other ones, but still a really great example of two organisations working together on their on their strengths. Any thoughts on that one?
5: I think the mental health angle is an angle that's that's really on the up and, and sports playing a big role in that. And I did actually notice there was a trailer for a documentary on Sky Sports today, which was looks like it's interviewing lots of stars from a, a vast background of sports. There was Marcus Triscothic on there, there was Laura Davis the golfer, Anthony Joshua, and that was all wrapped up in in the mental side of sport, but also then talking about the mental health side of things. So I think you know that's a really interesting area and, and anything that can get men talking about their mental health is definitely a good thing. And I'm, and, and I'm almost certain that football is the best way to leverage that as a sport.
1: Absolutely. The market share that you're getting in front of there is, is massive. You're going to get in front of thousands, if not millions of people.
5: You are. Yeah, the, the reach is certainly incredible. And I think we've been a little bit disparaging of elite sport on here But I think definitely on the mental health side of things, the more superstars, if you like, who can come out and talk about it, then that's where there could be a real impact. And Marcus Truscothic, and we're all cricket lovers, is somebody who's had a huge impact in the game of cricket, being open and honest about the troubles that he's had.
0: Yeah, so there is that kind of elite elite side. And, you know, for fans as well, I think that's probably equally as important. It's a really nice tagline as well. It's um, EFL and mind on your side. So it, it's showing that there's support out yeah. there. I think I think that's really key. So we've also had a tweet in from Andy Smith at SmudgeAndy, just highlighting the partnership between London Youth Rowing and Taiway London, which is getting people who may not normally row rowing down the Thames, so reconnecting people with their communities. So we've retweeted that, so you can check out that partnership as well. Also, we'd be really keen to hear from anyone on their favourite partnership in the world of sport for development. Please tweet us with your suggestions. So we're going to go around the horn again. And this time it's looking at sort of imaginary partnerships and our reasoning for bringing these two organisations together. Uh, Sarah, do you want to kick us off this time?
1: Yeah, I've gone for something between Niantic, who are the makers of the mobile game Pokemon Go and getactive.io, which is a hub for forting activities. Just plug in where you are, what you want to do, and you can find something to get involved with. And My idea essentially is that similar to Pokemon Go, you can do activities just based in the landscape around you. So as you're walking to work or to school or cycling, but you can also get involved with time-limited located events with only special prizes in the game so maybe you know, a special out your kit which will be linked to a taste the sports activity at a specific location so a taste a netball session or a five-side football tournament or something like that
0: that's my idea I, I really like that and I guess there with Pokemon Go the evidence was that that increased people's steps anyway yes. certainly in the short term because people were just doing it without really thinking. So there's that element. There's there's also a really good organisation called Beat the Streets as well, who we do something similar where you kind of tag in on like Oyster card style points around a certain area and you get kind of double points if you're near like a leisure bit. So it might be at your local park or swimming pool to encourage people to kind of at least go and see those. But I think this idea takes that a step further. And I certainly can see real partnerships like this happening in the very near future as as behavior change becomes more advanced as we understand what motivates people rather than here's a leisure center and here's a leaflet come along because humans are a lot more complicated than that so i I think this is a great idea in terms of getting inactive people active for a really fun engaging way Lee any thoughts
5: yeah, I mean, I think it's an absolute no brainer that mobile technology is going to play a big part in everything going forward and and certainly augmented reality like Pokemon Go is a great option. I know there's a there's a running app, isn't there, called, is it Zombie Run, which sort of uses yep. this yep. to get people out there jogging. Uh, but I think technology, augmented reality, mobile phones as a whole, yeah, pretty dream partnerships. And one thing they will certainly also have is, is the big budgets as well. So they've certainly got plenty of money to invest in this type of thing. And, yeah, an absolute no-brainer. It'd be a great partnership.
0: So my partnership is bringing together two kind of, institutions the Great British Bake Off and the England Cricket Board the ECB. I think for me the Great British Bake Off has tried to change the image of baking from this kind of very traditional housewife activity to lots of people from different backgrounds baking and I think that it has the opportunity with cricket which still is quite a traditional sport and obviously synonymous with baking to show that people can do different roles that women just don't have to make tea for men that the girls game and the women's game is really really growing and a huge amount of popularity and also that men can do the baking and why can't they make teas for women's cricket so I think the partnership has an opportunity both to promote cricket as kind of a game for all and also to flip the narrative and to get people cooking good healthy meals what do you guys think?
1: I like sort of the way that you're going, I you can see the natural partnership, I would just worry that you'd fall into sort of these cliches of baking, cricket, picket fences, bunting. And like my experience of cricket is, is as a diverse sport and my experience of cricket teas has been as a diverse sport and not involving the sort of things that you see on the Great British Bake Off. But amazing curries when you go to Jim or great goats when you go and, and play against teams in in Hornsey. So I don't know. I think there's something there, but you just have to deliver it really carefully.
0: Yeah, and I think if you have Channel Four there potentially as that kind of creative force, and it might be that they go to different grounds. And the baking takes on quite a different form, but there's that kind of element of competition. Yeah, I completely take the point. It's still quite a British institution and cricket has that feel about it. But I, I do think that, that there could be an opportunity to kind of flip that narrative a little bit. Lee, what, what do you think?
5: Well, as a man who's sampled many a cricket team, I'm already interested. That, <laughs> that, that's a given. The, the BBC angle, which was all Grand Stately Homes and and as you would see, you know, Cricket grounds in the bottom of the garden wouldn't work, but Channel 4's take on these things is usually a lot more progressive. So, yeah, definite match there for me, and just how you positioned it exactly, but diversity would seem a great way of going about it. And, Lee, just to finish it off, what's your kind of ideal partnership? Yeah, well, I've, I've sort of tried to do a bit of a catch all for, for any sport development charity. So, I haven't got one from the sport development angle, but what I have got is Create, which is the UK's leading charity, which is empowering lives through the creative arts. I've often had this in the back of mind. Everybody who's involved in sport for development, well, the vast majority of us are. What we sport, tragics really aren't. We? Sport's always been part of our life. I've often wondered if we try and crowbar sport too much on people who don't like sport. Teaming up with a, a creative organisation, and creative looked like one of the big ones, but there are plenty of other ones out there, like the Creative Society, Creativity Works, or even Clowns Without Borders. I just really like the idea of something that brought creative arts into this field and again a bit like you're talking about there trying to get a bit of a crossover so maybe from the sport angle you're getting the physical health but from the creative arts you're getting some mental health no idea how the projects themselves would look but how do you feel about that sort of synergy of those two aspects
0: well from my angle that happens a lot in terms of older people so often you might have a knit and natter session followed by a something to keep you up to you know seated volleyball or something like that, and I think the two kind of go go hand in hand pretty well. I could see it being a challenge logistically, but it's a very interesting crossover for me
1: yeah I think we might automatically go first it's a sports session how can we add a creative element but also it might be interesting to think this is a creative session how can mm. we add a sports element so I agree with Dave, I think, and as Lee, as you pointed out, I'm not quite sure how it it would look, but I think it's a really interesting way for us to start thinking.
0: So that concludes our episode on partnerships this time. We would love to hear about your ideas for partnerships and also some great partnerships that you know of. You can get in touch via the usual way on Twitter at Good Sportscast.
1: Or drop us an email, info at uk.
5: Or follow the blog, goodsportscast.org.uk.
1: And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: So thank you very much for listening,
0: and it's goodbye from the good sports.
1: Bye. Bye.